We've all seen it, we've all heard it, and many have experienced it firsthand. Real estate has been all the rage in 2021. In fact, for the past year, who would have even thunk it? We've witnessed demand go from crazy to even crazier. And what's wild is that it just keeps on going. Inventory shortages, inflated home values, low interest rates, bidding wars, way over ask offers, waived appraisals and inspections, cash deals. It's basically like the wild, wild west out here. And is there any end in sight? Well, if any of this resonates with you, get ready to get schooled because the current housing bubble, if that's what it can even be called, is precisely what we're talking about today on this episode of Real Talk with Big Red. Live from the Wildfire Podcasting Studios, it's the Real Talk with Big Red Show, where we keep it real with real estate agents and real-life buyers and sellers, lenders and landlords, vendors and investors, and anyone who's anyone that lives to inspire real success. I'm your host, Denise Petty. My friends call me Big Red, and this is your show, where people, places, and dreams come together. Real Talk Q&A phone lines are open now at 844-5-BIG-RED, and I'm here and ready to take your call. The housing bubble, well, more like the housing mylar balloon. Instead of it suddenly bursting without warning, could it just slowly deflate? Ever notice how mylar balloons just kind of hang around for way too long? Well, I think it's a good analogy anyway. Matt Boyce is here with us today. He is the vice president and the managing partner of Garden State Home Loans located in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. For those of you who may not already know Matt, and let's be honest, those of us who live here in South Jersey and practice real estate, especially who doesn't know Matt, uh, he's basically the guardian of the Garden State, as I like to say, uh, He, at least as it pertains to home loans. And uh, Matt partnered with Garden State Home Loans in 2011, right in the heart of Cherry Hill, and he has since expanded uh, with his company. The footprint over the years, it's now licensed in six States. Amazing and awesome. So allow me to welcome my co-host today and my guest, Matt Boyce. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. It's amazing to be here. Yay. I'm so glad you're here. So we're talking about the housing market today. First, let's just get you a big plug before we launch into some of the listeners' more common questions. Talk to me, Matt. How uh, did you get into the business? More importantly, why? And what would you say ignited your passion for home loans? Well, you know, I, I've been doing this about 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't believe I'm actually saying that, but 20 years, I've seen uh, some crazy markets. I've I've gone through Bet. the last housing bubble. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just a real big believer of taking care of people. Uh, we're 100% referral. So I just, whether we can do a loan for you or not, if we can point you in the right direction and you felt like that we were a great resource, uh, you're going to refer us, everybody you know in the future, and maybe we can do business uh, again, but uh, yeah, we're all just service oriented and trying to take care of people and navigate them through this insane market. Oh my gosh, it's so true. And you know, talking about like coming from contribution, that's a big value. It's a core belief in in my company, Keller Williams. So I like that this whole like value add that you bring to your customers. Where did you get your start in in lending and mortgages? Well, you know, I was marketing and sales, and and I was actually a DJ back in the day. Nice. Uh, I was so doing, this uh, whole headset uh, thing is you're no stranger. I don't have the ones and twos in front of me, but I can. <laughs> we're gonna have a good time. Yeah. So I, I, you know, listen, I, I was doing a, a lot of DJing, and uh, but uh, but out of college, I was uh, was also in the financials. I was a financial advisor uh, with Northwestern Mutual, and just kind of really uh, loved the concept of sitting down, seeing. Uh, everyone's unique situation uh, and, you know, wanted to uh, cater uh, the game plan and blueprint of whatever financial decisions we made around that person. 
Uh, so I started with that, that concept and we've just grown it over the years. And again, real estate agents, well, you know, for people that don't know, they work really, really hard for <laughs> no money until a transaction closes. Right. So when, whenever I would get a real estate agent to trust me with their buyers that they're spending, you know, dozens of hours with, uh, showing them, you know, dozens of homes, if not more, uh, it, it's just a real, uh, real amazing situation where, uh, I, I couldn't get a better compliment. Yeah. So that, that's really the, the concept of what I've built and just tried to not only service my clients, but our agents as well. Wonderful. You know, it's, it's so nice when you have that partnership mentality that we're all in this together because, you know, we all d d rely so heavily on each other to get the deal, you know, closed and finished. So I uh, totally value and appreciate that. So I know that you get asked this all the time. I certainly do. So what do you think? Are we in a housing bubble? I get asked almost every day. Mm -hmm. And and again, I have a unique perspective because I lived through 2008, nine, and, and the, uh, the years to follow. Uh, I got to see, you know, what, you know, the big short, if you've ever watched that movie, I lived through that and, and got to see it firsthand. So a lot of people, I feel like make that mistake and they, well, and I am calling it a mistake. I think people mistakenly compare this current market that we're in in 2021 to the 2008 market. Well, it is unique. I mean, if I'm a buyer and uh, two years ago, I was looking at a house in a certain neighborhood for 300,000, uh, all of a sudden that same house or similar homes are going for 400,000, you know, seemingly overnight. Uh, so I could definitely see where people think, wow, this is just running away and, and it's got to stop at some point. It's got to burst. And we're going to come back down to a few years ago before COVID and before the houses started really appreciating at this uh, high of a clip. Yeah, so many people are just wondering. They say it can't sustain itself. And they, a lot of people in my market, which is the Jersey Shore market, are saying like, well, you know, I'm not going to overpay for an oceanfront house. It's, at this point, people are just getting greedy. Well, when you say that there's a bubble and really what people are saying and worried about would be losing equity. Correct. Uh, they don't want to buy. I, look, my, I bought my first place in 2006. It was a townhouse in Marlton, New Jersey. I still own it today. I, I love real estate. I, I like rental properties. But the point was I bought it. And then when the, the housing bubble burst, I lost a lot of equity. I bought it for around $240,000. And uh, after the bubble, it was worth about one eighty. So for me, that was a huge amount of money, and I didn't have the ability of selling it. God forbid I would have been in a financial situation where I'm distressed, I lost my job, I can't make the mortgage payments. I couldn't sell it. I'd have to short sell it. I'd have to foreclose. So that's really what I think people are worried about. They don't want to buy, and then a year from now, they have negative equity. They're upside down. They're upside down in the house. So what I, what I wanted to do is just compare 2008, right before the last bubble, to now, to, or, or to 2020. And so the reason why you got a, a hold of me was because you saw a video that I did, mm -hmm. which was on, on Instagram, which I love. Thank you. Thank you. I just try to put out whatever content I can to be a resource. And I did a, a comparison of 08 to 2020. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, so I, I love that comparison you made. Oh, well, th thank you. So when you go through and you look at the two, the first situation we have going on right now is inventory. So in 2008, we had 12 plus months of inventory. Builders were building a ton of, bi of, of projects and all over the place. So we had a lot of homes and we just had a lot of homes in general that were for sale. So we had 12 plus months. Now a healthy market is six months. So if you have six months of inventory, that's a healthy market. So we were more than double what a healthy market was. In 2020, we had less than three months. 
So we right. so we have such a short uh, window. We, our inventory is so little right now, and still going on now. Maybe we're 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 uh, expanding a little bit. You know, maybe we're at three or four months. But I I'm pretty confident it's it's not going up that. Yeah, no, I have not seen a ton of new properties come on to the MLS, you know, and and I'm looking, believe me, I have a lot of buyers lined up. And, you know, so for people that are kind of curious what that means when we say six months of inventory, 12 months of inventory, um, because it takes about 30, 60, 90 days to close. So you're kind of figuring that in your you know, trajectory. Sure. So, right. So when people say days on market, something might go on the market and then within 24 to 48 hours, it's under contract. It still takes a solid 30, 45, 60 days to get to the settlement table. Absolutely. So it's like how fast are those homes that are selling being replenished? Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's not happening that fast. So we have a very limited inventory. Well, what happens when you have a lot of buyers and you have limited inventory, that's higher demand. And then that's why these houses are going under contract seemingly overnight. Yes. Uh, a lot of times they don't even have the ability of hitting the market and they're going under contract. And then you have all out bidding wars. Yes. So, and, that, and that's what is sparking this debate of the housing bubble. Because if I'm a buyer and I wanna win, that offer and that bidding war, I'll sometimes have to go over asking a lot over asking in in some situations. Yes. And and that, that actually brings me to one of another, I mean, we could, we could probably talk for hours about this topic. Um, Specifically financing as it relates to home loans and mortgaging, you know, with all these over ask offers, overvalued properties, appraisal issues, right? Um, you know, cash is king. There's a ton of people that are just elbowing their way through these throngs of bids and just saying, get out of the way. I'm paying cash. I'm not going to have an inspection. I'm not going to have an appraisal. So like, how are you servicing your, your financing uh, clientele with with this challenge? This is the number one topic we talk about every single day. Uh, We probably pre-approve between hundred and 150 buyers a month. So everyone has a different situation. This is what I'll tell you. If you're, if you're a cash buyer, meaning let, let's also talk about what cash buying means. Right. It means that you have no financing contingencies when purchasing a property. So that means that you could be taking that cash from an equity line, uh, maybe a, a line of credit on your finances, on your, on your uh, if you have a, a Merrill Lynch account, Raymond James account, you have your investments, you can actually pledge those assets, take a line of credit out on them. So you can still be getting financing, but there's no contingency in your right. contract. So you can't back out because you couldn't get financing. Right. That's really what, what a cash buyer means. Yeah, now how does a... So, so how does like a, a, for example, I think one of the biggest challenges right now is for new home buyers, first time home buyers, um, you know, especially the young ones coming out of college, starting a family. Um, a lot of these cash buyers have purchased up a lot of the very little inventory that we have and are using them as rentals. And so like, are these first time home buyers sort of destined to remain renters for the unforeseeable future? Yeah, it's definitely going to be more of an uphill battle than usual. Uh, Before COVID, uh, there was still a lot of demand. I mean, personally, I sold my house right before COVID hit. I had 100 people through my house in three days. So it's not like this all of a sudden just happened. There was already a strong demand. Uh, But what I I would tell you, and this is really important if you're a first-time home buyer, you're someone that doesn't have the ability of buying cash, you need financing. Whenever we do a pre-approval, we issue something called a pre-approval blueprint. All right, so it's just a game plan, a specific game plan on you as a buyer. Well, we always have to have a talk. If you're a 3% down buyer, uh, a 5% down, you know, a little bit of money down, that's really the biggest 
uh, concern over sellers and listing agents because they know that there's a good chance that the appraisal won't come in at whatever purchase price you agreed upon. So they're worried if you're a five percent down buyer that well if if it comes in ten grand, twenty grand short, are you going to have the ability of making up that difference and then having the money to put your three or five percent? Yeah, down? you really have to save your funds. So, if you're a first-time home buyer, you have to have plenty of cash assets. Yeah, and don't forget, it could also be a gift. So right. it, it, this this might be a situation where you go back to family, and and if if you have this ability, that's that's amazing. If not, yeah, you're absolutely right. You just need to save yeah. the money. Uh, but but having the ability of putting down, or at least telling the listing side that you have the ability of putting more than whatever you're offering. So yes, I'm putting five percent down, but I could go ten or twenty thousand dollars over what are the whatever the appraised uh, value. You're come willing in. to do that, yeah. Now, and I think that. You know, that's the difference between this seller's market and a, and a buyer's market, whereas, you know, in in years past, you know, a first time home buyer might request a seller's assist, you know, from a from a seller saying, like, could you help me pay my closing costs and I'll add it, what tack it on to the end of the mortgage. So like it's kind of a it's it, well, explain that. So like is this this is a little demoralizing, right, when you're trying to be competitive in this market and you have you feel like the odds are stacked against you um you know do you offer your first-time home buyers hope in this bubble yeah we definitely do it all i could say is just stay with it don't get demoralized uh, that's, that's a good word i guess you could use mm -hmm. for it uh, really if you're if you're consistent and you stay focused and you continue to look continue to put offers in you will win uh, our buyers do win. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we it, people talk about FHA buyers aren't getting accepted anymore. I'll tell you right now, that's false. Yeah, I'm writing them. Yeah, we have mm -hmm. plenty of FHA buyers that are still getting accepted. And really, it's it's. I'm going to tell you right now, and and I'm sitting here talking to uh, one of the, the uh, great agents of South Jersey. You have to have a full time great real estate agent mm -hmm. that not only understands all the things that we're talking about now, but also knows the market, knows the other agents. Because I'm going to let in let every Everybody that's listening uh, on a little secret. The secret is real estate community is very close knit. That's right. And really, it's about making everyone feel confident that we're going to close. So that's, that's right. why using a local lender, using a local agent, uh, a local attorney, if you want to use attorney, all these things are important because if you use a Quicken Loans or you use a you know a, a conglomerate uh, right. lender, well. So if something goes wrong, the appraisal comes in low or or there's a, a hiccup in, in the underwriting, you know, the odds are they're not going to fix that right away. Right. Right. The odds you're, are you're you, just bottlenecked. You're you're a you're a cog in the wheel. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it's Sunday night at 8 p.m., you're yeah. not getting a hold of anybody. No. But if you're using a local lender and look, we're local and, and I would love for people to use us. But there's plenty of great local lenders mm -hmm. that do as good of a job. Well, maybe not as good, but very close, <laughs> very close of a job as us. And and they're great. Same with agents. If, if it's a part time agent and not to knock part time agents, but this is a really rough market. It is. Is. You have um, to be very agile. So, so I mean, if it's an agent that knows, they all know each other, they've done plenty of transactions together, and they feel comfortable, you could have 20 offers in, but they're going to take your offer, even if it's lower, mm -hmm. because there's a better chance that it's going to get to the table. With it's that agent representing. Correct. Yeah. So that's definitely when, if you're a buyer, you don't have a ton of money to put down. Again, stay the course and talk to a lender and talk to your agent on how to make you the strongest buyer 
possible. That's yeah. that's our big conversation. No, I think that's really important. And you know, especially as it revolves around credit score. I know uh, in your Instagram. Which, uh, what is your Instagram handle for people that are listening? It's at MJ underscore Boyce. Okay. And B-O-Y-C-E is the way that Boyce is spelled. So one of the things that I love is you put out this content, these videos that kind of, um, you know, they, it breaks down in a very easy and approachable way uh, how the, the current state of affairs, if you will. So what I love is that you talked a little bit about how the, the differences between the 08 market and the current market. You talked about inventory. You also talked about credit scores. So the reason why we can't expect this bubble to burst the way it did, you know, however many years ago that was, <laughs> I don't do, <laughs> you do the math, not me. I sell the houses. Um, but yeah, like, so there's, things are more strict, right? COVID guidelines and, and the Fed create, created a whole different um, level of qualification. Yeah. So check this out. I bought my first house in 06, right? Mm -hmm. I bought it with no money down. And I had the seller giving me a seller credit for closing costs. Right. I, so I literally bought my house for almost zero out of pocket. Okay. So that was People number one. People could do that back then. Not, not only that, but they didn't verify my income. I was a, I was a commission guy, you know, I was a, back then, uh, you know, and, and I didn't have to verify any, any of my income. Uh, the only thing I really verified was my assets, which again, I, I didn't really need that many assets to buy back then. So uh, back in 2008, the average credit score was a 667. Okay, so uh, the, your credit score for everyone listening is an indication on on how well you are paying debt back, right. how well you are paying your creditors. So for people listening, they're like, "Well, I don't really know my credit score." Yeah, you definitely want to get that checked out uh, sooner than later. And yeah, all, and credit karma is not a real indicator. <laughs> you know, it, credit karma gets knocked a lot because that's not the credit report we, as a lender, are ultimately going to use to approve you. Right. So I, if you're banking on a credit karma score, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. Uh, when you go to someone like me and my team, we actually spend a lot of money on your credit report. It's not cheap. And it's a professional called a tri-merge credit report because there's three scores that we pull in from Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And we take the middle score to be fair. Not only that, but we could tell you, hey, listen, you're overextended. You're over 30%, which is the key number on your limits, mm -hmm. uh, which is knocking your score down, and it's putting you at a disservice. You, you're going to get a better rate, qualify for a better program if you do this, 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 and this, and over the course of the next three to six months. So the biggest mistake people make, and I just want to make sure I'm, I know whether we're off topic now or whatever, but... Uh, make sure you're getting pre-approved, again, by that local lender. There's a difference between a pre-approval and a pre-qual, right? Yeah, so pre-qual just means you've you've uh, probably gone online, uh, like you filled out Rocket some... Mortgage or something. Yeah. Not to plug them, but... Not, well, yeah, it, Rocket, I mean, the, the reason they get themselves in trouble is because you go online, you, you you fill out the app, you put as much info as you think you you could put in there, and based on just some real basic information, they give you this pre-qual, which, by the way, isn't worth the paper it's written on. Right, it's like going, uh, what is that guy in the... in um, it's the machine in the movie Big when he like Zoltan like Zoltan. <laughs> spits out the piece of paper. That's that's it. That's that's about as it's worth as much. <laughs> so when I say get pre-approved, you know, you're going through, you're getting this professional credit report, you're getting a professional local lender that's giving you all of your options, and then together you choose the right one for you. Yeah. And again, how to make yourself the strongest buyer. Yeah. So that's that's super. So pre-qual is kind of like a self-help. Uh, 
you know, it, it spits it out, it turns it around, but it's not really vetted by the lender. Correct. Yeah. So pre-approval is the, the industry standard. We actually have gone a, a step further. We do something called a pre-underwritten buyer. That's so good. That's so good. Please talk about that. So, <laughs> and, and just to also make sure that we, we uh, finish up that last segment, the average credit score was a 667 yeah. in 08, in, in 2020, uh, it's 760. Yeah, and so right, I want to talk about both of those things. I want to talk about the uh, the credit score, but I also want to talk about that pre pre underwritten uh, service that you offer. So w with regard to the credit, yeah, it's fascinating to me because I have some agents asking me, do you, you know, are we going to see the kinds of foreclosures and the short sales that we saw? Right. Yes. Uh, in in the 08, after the 08 bubble. Um, and I know you talk about the fact that because that credit score is the, the, the qualification and the average credit score is so much higher now, um, people can actually afford the houses yeah, people, that they're overpaying for. People are getting houses that deserve houses. Mm -hmm. Back then, we were giving. I know I was part of the problem. Uh, people were approving we, people. We were approving people that should never have been buying a house. But back then, the, it, again, it was appreciating. This is the only similarity is the amount of appreciation. Yes. Average appreciation around the country is around four or five percent a year. I mean, that's average. Yeah. We're seeing. 10, 15 percent, right. some areas 20 percent appreciation per year. And that's why people are getting nervous. But but like you just said, if you have good credit score buyers in there, you have people putting down money. Oh, that was the other thing. Back then, average down payment was an average equity in a house was 10 percent. Now, average equity in 2020 is 40 percent. That's amazing. So even if the market does slow down, even if we go from 10, 15, 20 percent appreciation back down to an average of four, it's still you're you're gonna have all these people that do have equity. So you yeah. have good credit score people that are good at paying stuff back. You have people that should have been buying the house that put down money that have money. Strong and, financial positions. And God forbid mm -hmm. something does happen to these people and and they lose a job, they can sell their house and get out of it and not to go to short sale, not go to foreclosure. The, really the only foreclosures and short sales you're gonna be seeing would be people uh, impacted by COVID, mm -hmm. uh, people that, you know, just in, in certain markets that, that maybe uh, refinanced, they took an equity line, they don't have a ton of equity uh, and, they're, and they're going that route. But you're not gonna see the wave that like we did before. It's probably gonna just be like this slow release of air let out of the balloon instead of the balloon blowing around the room. The Mylar <laughs> balloon, I love it. That was a great analogy. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so pre-underwritten uh, buyer, and again, I, I, people are listening to this. I, I know we're, we're touching on a lot of things, but I really want to get all this out because it's very important. It is important. I live and breathe this every day. Mm -hmm. I have a great team. And again, all we do, 100-plus buyers a month we're pre-approving. Right. So when, when we pre-underwrite, all right, now most banks don't do this because that would mean they would have to hire more people. It's expensive. They have to allocate their time. When we pre-underwrite, that means we've collected all your financials, your, your pay stubs, your W-2s, your tax returns, your, your assets, whatever it is. We've run that professional credit report. We take all of that and then we run it through an automated underwriting system uh, with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA, and we make sure that you're approved. We then go a step further and have a pre-underwriter that we, we have a whole team of them. They go through and then make sure that we're abiding by all the updated guidelines, which 
change monthly. So as, as smart as I think I am or as smart as any loan officer thinks they are, they are not the ones that are going to approve right. your file. Right. So they could be the nicest person and you you trust them up and down, but in the end, they're not going to approve your file. Right. So that's, that's why when I say go with a local lender, the reason that holds weight is because if it's a good loan officer, someone that has a good reputation with other agents in the area then they've probably already done this. They've gone yeah. to an underwriter to double check. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point because really when, when what I'm facing a lot of times with my buyers that are going through their banks um, is this, this uh, piece of paper, ju- just a number um, mentality and they can't get someone on the phone and they can't connect. And I, and I always say, you know, who's, listen, um, let me introduce you to some of my local people, like, because it's way more valuable. Um, you have that customer service uh, advantage, you know, somebody that's going to actually, I like to call it, um, well, Dave Ramsey actually calls it like the heart of a teacher. Like, right. let me, ha- let me hook you up with somebody that's going to actually guide you and, and go shoulder to shoulder through the process. Don't get me started on Dave Ramsey. I, <laughs> there's some good things he teaches, but, but other things he's a little, there's other things that I'm you kind of in, agree with. I'm kind of in the industry that he hates, although he does own a mortgage company. Little, little no effect. Little side. But, but uh, the worst thing that could happen, I want everyone to envision, you go to a bank, you get pre-approved. Mm-hmm. You think you're good for X amount. You think you're going to be putting this amount down. You then go to an agent that you find because your friend's cousin, sister's uncle's friend just got into real estate and they could show you around and they seem like a nice person. Right. So you start looking at houses. You look at 10, 20 houses, you put in an offer. It doesn't get accepted. You then look at another 10, 20, another offer, another offer, another. So let's say you're several offers deep. And then finally you sit back and go, what are we doing wrong? What can we do to better us as a buyer? You go back to that agent they don't know. You talk to another agent, talk to another lender like us, Mm -hmm. and you find out, oh, you could have done this other program and been a stronger buyer and maybe got a gift from that friend's uncle's cousins, whatever. Yeah, you could solve the issue. Beefed up your offer, gone with another agent who's local, in the know, in the in the uh, community, the real estate community, Mm -hmm. respected. All of a sudden you get your offer accepted and you look back and you go, wow, how much time did we waste and how many houses did we lose? Yeah. So I don't say this because I want to plug my company or plug certain agents. It's, it's really the reality of what's happening. I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's a crazy, crazy, super competitive market Mm -hmm. right now. Although easing a little bit, I think we're seeing some inventory, but now we have news of this Delta variant. And when we have all this, this, you know, fear in in the news and the media what happens to sellers they go well i don't i was tight i was feeling comfortable but now i don't know if i want people walking through my house Mm -hmm. i don't know if i want to be walking through other people's house too as a buyer Mm -hmm. and looking to purchase so you know we might have that inventory scale back a little bit and and get tighter so i just want everyone listening again the the theme of this is we are we are not in a bubble Uh, I do not believe we are. I think if anything, it slows down. But the other part I want to say is not only do we have that inventory we keep talking about super low. The other thing is if you look at the birth rates, I mean, I dig real deep. Yeah, that's that's true. I dig deep. That's a good. If you go to the whole market analysis segment coming up. (laughs) Yeah. So so if you look, the average age of the first time home buyer right now is 33. Mm -hmm. That's the average. Well, if you go back 33 years ago. All right. Unfortunately, I'm a little further back behind beyond that. But if you go 33 years ago, you're going to see the birth rates 
went up and up and up and up. And that means over the next few years, mm. we're going to have more people get, getting into the market, more people getting pre-approved, right. and, and, and that demand is just going to get even greater. Mm -hmm. So even if builders start building, which they're doing now. Yeah, because the lumber prices have come down now. They've come down a little bit. Even if, if more people do feel comfortable, they, they put their uh, houses on the market. I don't see that inventory jumping up to six plus months anytime soon. No, I don't either. And I mean, at the time of this recording, uh, we're in high summer, uh, July of 2021. And it's a little quiet. You know, people are finally getting a little bit of courage to go out and do something, go on vacation, uh, not sit at home, you know, maybe uh, some purchasing some airfare and, and, and instead of doing home improvement projects and getting their houses ready for sale, they're, you know, it's just a little bit quieter right now. But I still am seeing a ton of interest and a, and a ton of uh, demand. So um, it, with that in mind, we actually have a caller um, who is interested in having us answer a question about uh, the state of the market and, and what she should do. Hey, Big Red, my name is Nancy, and I have a question for you about the current real estate market. You know, I just, I can't believe what houses are going for these days in my neighborhood. And I've really seriously been thinking about selling I want to take advantage of cashing out before the bubble bursts and, you know, while things are still hot. The thing I have an issue with, the challenge that I see is how few homes are actually available for sale right now. So I keep asking myself, if I sell my house, where will I even go? There's nothing for sale and I'll only end up overpaying. So I find myself staying put, even though I'd love to make the kind of money that's out there for the taking, I'm just conflicted. Do you have any advice for people like me who are kind of straddling the fence? Appreciate it. Thanks. Wow, that is basically what I hear constantly, especially I have a f I have tons of people that say, how much could I sell my, how much do you think I could sell my house for? In some markets, you can almost, depending on your equity position, become like an almost overnight millionaire. It's like winning the lottery. And I have people that are really strongly considering selling, but they just don't have anywhere to go. And I say, well, I have plenty of bedrooms. <laughs> 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 what, what are you, you're seeing it too. Yeah, we, we actually have a lot of people that come to us and they we're pre-approving them and they, they flat out tell us, look, we have no idea when we're going to buy, but we're going to be living in this extended stay or this rental mm -hmm. or with family or whatever. So, I mean, it, it really is a, a, a crazy time, but you're absolutely right. You know, do you take advantage now? and sell. My neighbor, who I, we love, by the way, they're quiet. They don't have barking dogs. They, <laughs> like you know. someone who shall remain nameless. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we love him. We, and, and he, they just, they just went under contract. They just sold because he said, Matt, I, I got to take advantage. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a lot of houses selling for that reason, which is good again for inventory. Yeah. But in, the, the question is, I just don't want anyone to ever feel buyer's remorse you know, so you go and you buy, you you sell and you whatever's on the market, you're gonna you're you're buying. You'll just take whatever you can get. Because think about it, think about the time frame that you're buying. You know, say it's six months. There's only gonna be a certain amount of homes for sale in that amount of time. Yeah. So you know, that's the number one thing we try to give you as big of of a, of a slice of that pie as possible. Have you give you access to as many of those homes as possible? Mm -hmm. Again, with these programs, but. I, my advice is get a situation where you are comfortable for the foreseeable future. You don't have to uh, pull the gun or, or sorry, pull the trigger on anything that might not fit your needs. And then all of a sudden, two years from now, you're going, man, we got to get out of here. And I think people really attach a lot of, 
you know, value to home ownership. I think that people feel that renting is just such a colossal waste of money uh, because you just don't have an equity position. But I think there's an argument for short-term rental, whether it's a year, two years, three years, in order to have, you know, these amazing profits uh, from selling at the top of the market. It, you know, I just, I don't see a downside. And I mean, I sold a house in October. Um, I think we were, I think we, we probably closed right around the, 600 mark uh that today i could list for one one and my you know my buyers haven't they haven't even been in there a year and they're already talking about sticking a sign in the yard because i mean where can you really win five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> in one year it's just when when you really start breaking things down and you think what kind of a uh of an opportunity this is it, it's really hard to it's hard to turn your back on that. Yeah, and also if you're thinking about selling, uh, think about this: if you do make a good amount of money, you know, five hundred thousand or even a hundred thousand, and you want to buy another property, you're leveraging. You're still leveraging money to buy that other property. So number one, I don't think we're in a bubble. I don't think buying another property, uh, you're you're going to lose. You know, two years later, all of a sudden that house is worth 20% less. That's right. not going to happen. I don't think so either. Uh, again, if anything, maybe we slow down the appreciation year after yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, you know, short of a major natural disaster, like a meteor hitting the planet, like I just don't well, see... Well, then I don't think we're going to care too much about paying our mortgages <laughs> or, right. or houses. It's like Fight Club. It's like... <laughs> but, but I like the idea. I mean, you might be in a situation where you bought a house. It's not your end-all be-all. It's, it's not the forever home. And you can make money on it. And well, then, it could be in a retirement plan for a lot of people. Yeah, you know? yeah. And but but it also it could give you that leverage to buy the house that you've always wanted. That's right. You know. So and but you need time. So time. If you have time, then that also puts you in a position of power. Because think about how many sellers are selling because they they just want to make the you know the money, but they're not ready. Right. So uh, I'll give you another another trick that our buyers are doing is is they're going in and saying, hey, listen, we're flexible on settlement. That's right. And so whether whatever they end up doing, we're living with mom and dad in the basement again or, or whatever it is, but if they give the, you know infinite amount of time for that seller to maybe find another property mm -hmm. or find living arrangements to be able to sell, they'll win over a cash buyer sometimes because that cash buyer is saying, no, we want to settle in 30 days. Yeah, it's about working with your the, the agents involved for a creative solution. I mean, I know sometimes we talk about like leasebacks. People are asking about leasebacks, but I think there's use and occupancy issues there, right, with the lending? No, we're, we're typically okay with that. Okay. It, you know, we have certain situations where a leaseback really is just you're, you're selling your property and at settlement you sign a, a, an agreement to then still continue to live in there. You don't own it any, anymore, but you're paying rent back to the new buyers. Until you can find a place of your own. Right. That's also an option. Talk to your local real estate agent for more information. <laughs> and your attorney. And your attorney. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that was a great question and we've had a really productive discussion today. Real Talk with Big Red is brought to you by our sponsor, Red Feather Staging, where creativity and profitability connect. 
If you're an agent looking to list a home or if you're a homeowner looking to sell a home, Redfeather Staging is the premier provider for setting your home sale up for success. Redfeather Staging partners with you to showcase your home or your client's home in the best light possible for better photos, better showings, and better profit margins. After all, when rooms look good, homes sell well. So call Redfeather Staging today at 609-760-4334. That's 609-760-4334. Or visit redfeatherstaging.com to book your appointment today. So as it relates to this market, uh, we you know it's time for our market analysis segment of the show. Um, according to an article on CNN Business written by Mark Zandi, who's a chief economist at Moody's Analytics, Obviously, you and I have talked about this already. Home sales, home building, especially housing prices have surged. And despite being overvalued, there's really no sign that the housing market is in a bubble, as we've discussed. And a bubble develops when there's speculation or when buyers purchase homes with the sole intent of selling quickly for profit. Um, That's not really happening today. We're not seeing really the flips of the past. Uh, Stress lines are beginning to appear and the housing market is set to cool off, according to Uh, this author, Mark. Um, The increase in home prices is stunning. He says nationwide housing prices are up double digits over past years. And this comes after a decade of solid price gains in the housing market, um, bottoming in the aftermath of the financial crisis. So the median existing home price now is looks like it's closing in on 350k uh, nationwide, which is actually double, almost double what it was 10 years ago. So when if you think about the return that you would have earned if you had had the gumption to buy a median priced home at the bottom of the market after the crisis, say with like a typical 20% down payment, then that comes to an approximate 560% return. Amazing. Totally amazing. So there's just not enough new homes right now, right, to meet the demand and the vacancy rate for the home sales. You know, it's never been lower. Um, he says that home builders have been slow to put up more homes, especially at lower price points, given the restrictive zoning since the financial crisis and the much higher labor and material material costs, which we've also addressed in our, in our little chat today. Um, further supercharging house prices has been the pandemic fueled work from anywhere phenomenon, um, that's driven apartment dwelling households in the nation's biggest cities to move into homes in the suburbs. The exurbs which i've actually never heard of he calls it the exurbs and smaller towns and cities new yorkers and californians uh they are used to outsized house prices they view much lower prices in smaller communities as bargains even though they paid much more than any previous buyers well you think about the cost of living in new york or even in north jersey uh, is is so high astronomical, and then you come down to our neck of the woods in in southern New Jersey, the Philadelphia market, and and it is a bargain, yeah. And and they have the money, so they're going. Well, I know I'm paying a hundred thousand over what you know they're asking, but I'm getting the house better than what I would have paid up there. I would I'm getting way more space than I would would have gotten up there. Way more land, yeah. And um and and like you said, a lot of people are going to be working out of their houses. For for the foreseeable future, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in Ocean County and Monmouth County, where is where I, you know, the predominant um, effort of my business is, uh, we are infiltrated by New York. I mean, really, uh, the 
the, they are no no offense, New Yorkers. No, you only have terrible sports teams, Go but Eagles. you're nice people. Okay, <laughs> Go you're Birds. Not- I, I mean, really, the it, it, it's actually in some ways a cultural clash. You know, we're seeing like you know this um, a lot of a lot of fist pumping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of tight shirts. <laughs> a lot of tight shirts. I'm cracking up. Oh my God, that's so funny. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I, I was a DJ. I get it. I wore my fair share of tight shirts. I'm 40 now, so it's few and, few and far between. Oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah, it's just the, the whole face of, of of LBI is is shifting. You know, it's a it's a massive New York influx. Um, I, I'm I'm they put food on my table, so I'm not complaining. I'm selling these homes to. But if you are, if you're a New Yorker, really, or anyone that that's moving into another area, again, I can I, I can't say it enough. Mm-hmm. Use local people, mm-hmm. people that understand the market. Uh, doing business in New York is entirely different than doing business in New, New Jersey. Totally. Also, doing business in North Jersey is entirely different uh, than doing business in South Jersey. That's there right. might as well be a, a Mason-Dixon line you're across right. the, the heart of the state, uh, right near the Trenton area. That's right. South Jersey, the majority of transactions have no attorney go above that line, almost every transaction has an attorney. Yeah. So that's why in South Jersey, agents really run the show. Uh, agents are really steering that ship where in, in North Jersey or Central Jersey even, you you go under contract, you don't see that agent again until they're picking up their check at, <laughs> uh, at settlement. So it's it, it it's very local. Real estate is very, very local. And, um, and programs and uh, for lending, again, very local. So just use, surround yourself with the right team that understands all of this. Yeah. And with that in mind, let's drop some contact info and your biz info. We talked a little bit about your Instagram profile, which is MJ underscore Boyce. And at Garden State Loans. Okay. Uh, at Garden State Loans, uh, all my stuff is on there, but also a lot of resources as well. Yeah. So you're on the website, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on LinkedIn. Yep. Everywhere. Just Google Matt Boyce Mortgage, and I'll, I'll probably pop up. So, uh, and then emails mboyce at gardenstateloans.com. Uh, guys, I, I don't care if you're buying this market, another market, even if I can't help you, I love to just uh, give as much information as I can, and hopefully uh, you can use it uh, and uh, you're successful. Wonderful. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, no problem. It was, this was great. We'd love to do it again. Awesome. Well, that does it for this episode of Real Talk with Big Red. Thank you so much for tuning in. It was great to spend some time with you. And big thanks go out to you, our listener, to our sponsor, to our caller, and to our producer, Taylor Kudatis. If you like the show, share it with a friend and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Also, if you found value in today's episode, I encourage you to go ahead and leave a review. And this way, more people who love real estate will be able to find the show. And remember, if you or someone you know is interested in a career in real estate, or if you just have questions in general about the show, the industry, investing, flipping, renting, buying, selling, just do me a favor and connect with me on Instagram at Denise Petty and ask away. Be sure to visit my website at denisepetty.com to find all the show notes for this episode, as well as past episodes, plus all the featured listings of your dreams.